0: Welcome home. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Graham. And this podcast is the home at class you wish you'd been offered. We're two moms aspiring to create gracious homes that are welcoming and functional, all while dealing with real life schedules, budgets, and children. Stick with us and we'll share and show what we know, what we've learned, where we've messed up, and how to fix it. For everything we can't make up, we'll bring in the best experts we can find. You're listening to Welcome Home. Today on Welcome Home, we're chatting with Mary Laura Philpott, bestselling author of I Miss You When I Blink the new hilarious memoir about motherhood, incremental life change, and finding the antidote to the monotony of the daily grind.
1: Plus, why separate bathrooms are the key to a healthy marriage, how to just say no to endless conversations about chicken salad, and why any volunteer position that involves a full year of apprenticeship training should probably be vetoed. All that and more on today's episode of Welcome Home.
0: Welcome home, Graham. Welcome home, Kirsten. Ah, oh, that intro took us like six tries. A little behind the scenes, we haven't been doing this in a while. We took a little holiday break, holiday hiatus. Well, we had to do some reading.
1: We have a fa- We actually have a famous author. Actually, you want to know something? She is really famous and she's got a big following. But I really feel like we've we've snagged a Brene Brown or a Mrs. Rachel Hollis before the whole world. So, FYI, kids, we got a biggie today. We got really a big fish, her. Kirsten.
0: I like this book. I have not sh- let's let's tell the truth. I have not shut up about this book since I read it. Oh, I know when I read this. This is a really bad time to write to read a book about like life changes and incredible. I read it the night before my fortieth birthday. <laughs> oh my god, you are a wackadoo! Yeah, and, this is. This is all the
1: things, all the questions that Kirsten and I have about, you know, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Is this a good thing? I mean, just in our life and that everyone else probably has us listening to the show. Mary Laura kind of nails in this book. It's a, it's a book of essays, but they all seamlessly go together. So you kind of feel like you're reading a It's a, a novel.
0: memoir in essays. Yeah, memoir in essays. You get, you get to go through her life through these very interesting, charming Funny essays, and she's super relatable. Like you're reading this, and you're like, "Oh, that could be me. That could be the girl who lives next door to me. That could be the you know." It's just, it's very. But
1: she's the cool girl that outs stuff, right? Like I think you were telling me about the, and I like this part about the, you know, when when you're when you have to, um, what is it? Give money to you know to donate to certain levels for things, and you know you don't want to be the person that the, you describe it. You're better at it.
0: Oh, when it, when it was like you don't want to be. On like the lowest, where it's just like you just gave the bare minimum, and you're not going to volunteer at all because then you look like a jerk. But like nobody can afford to be at that top level. Like who has that kind of money? Who has that kind of time? Like you don't want to do that. You want to be the third category from the bottom. Like I'm so important. You can see but your like, name. Maybe they put it in again. slightly bigger font.
1: You know, but <laughs> um, bigger, but, but not too big. Know, <laughs> you've towed the line, but you're not like a, a big roller. So they come after you all the time and ask you to go the
0: playground. Yeah. But this is why that book this book was so brilliant was because it was on one hand that. sort of light and silly in terms of, you know, making that, that sort of sociological, um, you know, observation. But then it was also kind of talking about the larger purpose of I wanted my name to be written. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to feel like I was still making a contribution, even though I was a stay-at-home mom. So everything was like very um, lighthearted and easy to relate and everyday kind of stuff tied in with these really profound, deeper meanings. Um, mm-hmm. And I just love that. I love when there can be deep, thoughtful epiphanies drawn from very everyday observations. I just, Don't you think like that's Welcome Home? T- Isn't that what we do every day? Is it? I don't know. I, like I don't think that's kind of what we aspire to do. Well, think of something real deep right now.
1: Well, I think I think we will think of lots of deep things on our show. Mm, you better
0: hustle, because that, that was a big, whoo, you said the bar real high there.
1: No, when we say something that happens in our daily life, like something that's a little bit strange, or hmm, why do we do that? And then you are
0: like, oh my God, I do the exact same thing at my house. I didn't know anyone else was doing that. Yeah, like we just had one of those. I forget what it was. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, so what's going on with you? How's your new year going on? Oh, it's good. Everything's going well. Um, we're doing just fine over here, just right in the zone. Um, my children finally went back to school yesterday after right. a lovely twenty six day Christmas break. That's crazy. That was good. enjoyable. hmm hmm Mine yeah. are back in. It's raining. It's Always warm. We're having fall here as we do in January in Phoenix. That's lovely. What a nice what does fall mean in Phoenix? <laughs> Uh, it means all the trees are turning yellow and falling. It's it's like a lovely autumn day in January. It's the weirdest thing. Phoenix is the weirdest place.
1: But it's you, nice. well, hey, wait, how long are you gonna be in Phoenix for? Whoa,
0: oh. tee job.
1: Ooh. Here's a biggie. Oh, wait. I told Kirsten nobody's going to care. Wait, let us know. (laughs) Write us an email if anyone cares. I said, any list. Kirsten's got a big announcement to make. And I'm like,
0: eh. I've been really really stressed out. I'm like, Graham, when do I bring it up on the podcast? And she's like, I'll help you. Literally, no
1: one cares. (laughs) Well, I mean, I can care because I like you, but I mean, it's not going to affect our friendship. Um,
0: Maybe it will. Okay. So sometimes I should, I should, let's start by saying that sometimes Graham and I travel and Graham gets nervous until she makes her first joke and then she goes, phew, turns out I'm funny in LA. Like she has yeah. to make
1: sure she works in each state because she's not no, funny in every state. I'm No, I'm not as funny in every state. There's some places that I'm rolling, like spot on, funny, funny, funny. And then other places when it just doesn't, the synapses are not connecting. Okay, but then well, I'm here's, still like
0: moderately funny. Here's what's happening, everyone. And if, actually let's crowdsource this. If anyone listening lives in Connecticut and wants to be my friend and help me find a school and help me find a grocery here's, store. Really, here's the
1: question. Do you even know how to spell Connecticut?
0: Yes. I mean, I, I'm not, not without spell check. Yeah. <laughs> Connecticut. Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. So we're moving to Connecticut. Is that how you say it? It's very exciting. Yes. Yeah. In, we're moving to Connecticut. Um,
1: I feel there's a lot of towns. Oh, Alabama.
0: No, oh, Alabama. Alabama is spelled like it sounds. Birmingham. Oh my gosh.
1: This was There's so no ridiculous. Connecticut situation. We were
0: driving. Okay. Cause over the holidays,
1: we took, you're making me think of something over the holidays. Flo To, uh, Yeah, that's awesome to uh cities that we had never been to that we wanted to see in the southeast just a very simple little family trip we went to memphis we went to little rock all this kind of stuff but we were driving through this really small we were on the highway we were driving through this really small town in mississippi or maybe it was on the border of alabama and i wish i remembered the exact name right it was it was something semi-difficult to pronounce that maybe people could possibly mispronounce, but you could tell. So they they had the exit sign for it, you know, said it was coming up in like 15 miles, whatever it was. And as you got about three miles outside of the town, they started putting up signs that told you how to pronounce the town's name phonetically. And I'm telling you, Amazing. this town's probably... like. How to properly say it. And these were signs clearly made by a you know, state transportation authority or maybe a prisoner somewhere um, that they were trying to teach you how to say it in case anyone came to the town and heaven forbid to mispronounce the <laughs> town's <mispronounced> name. It. <laughs> it was great. I almost wanted to pull over because these people were so interested in get, making sure everyone knew how to pronounce their town's
0: name. Okay, there's a city in Mexico I've been working so hard to learn how to pronounce because have you ever had a Oaxacan old fashioned? Oh, yeah, Oaxaca. Yeah, okay. It's been Oaxaca. Oaxaca. For those of you, okay, Oaxaca Old Fashioneds are my new favorite cocktail. They are so good. If you, do you like an Old Fashioned? Kind of, yeah, I do. Okay, I love this because it's an Old Fashioned, it's a tequila-based Old Fashioned, Graham. It's so good. Oh. I'll make you one. Okay. Or you can order one the next time you go to, you have to go to like a really like hipstery bar to get one now. Okay, but this but, is cool to be trendy. Okay, keep going. Oaxacan Old Fashioned, but for those of you who don't know, Oaxacan is spelled, or Oaxaca is spelled. Go to the next. O-A-X-A-C-A. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So it looks like waxacaca. Okay, but yeah, what, anyway, th- this is not the point. You totally glossed over my giant announcement that we're moving to Connecticut. Okay. Yay. And that, no, but what if I'm not funny in Connecticut, Graham? What if I get Oh, really that's what you're mean? worried about? Well,
1: remember, we don't tout ourselves as a comedy show.
0: I we know, but what, but what if I'm like, what if I get dumber? And, I mean, we don't know who I'm going to be there. I've only been there for a couple hours. Well, you'll finally be on the best coast. So, I mean, I think only good things could happen to people on the East Coast. So, you're in a good place. I've been to Connecticut twice in my whole life. Three times. Three times.
1: Yeah, it's ambitious. Um,
0: it was cold every time I was there. I picture you wearing like pastel cable knits with a thoughtful pearl necklace and some loafers. You know what I liked about and this. cool book? lots? Is is uh, Mary Laura used the word jaunty many times? Oh, like a jaunty cap? Yeah, she's like, I packed a jaunty little sweater, and I was like, Graham uses the word jaunty quite a bit. I do, I do. Um, well, why don't we get
1: to our interview? We've got a biggie today. Okay, I guess. You're so. sorry. You want more play on your move?
0: No, Yay! I just I want no. I want you to be like a little more thoughtful
1: about it. <laughs> I'm so excited for you, Kirsten. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be very stressed
0: out about packing. We should do another episode on packing. As
1: Mary Laura says, as you listen, it's just a bunch of incremental pieces. I know. I know. Um, know. Just you write a to-do list and you do it. You go first. You get your supplies. Then you bring them home. Then you do the books. Like you just take it step by step by step by step.
0: I know, but I took a bunch of pictures off the wall yesterday and my husband had a heart attack.
1: Oh, that's the best feeling. You're so smart. You're already acing. No, no I, go. he that's got the first so thing you take mad. Off the wall. He's like,
0: no, no, no. Don't take the paintings off the wall to the very end. That's got I got to feel like it's a home. And I get what he's saying, but I'm also like, oh, dude. I see. 'Cause it was the yeah. gallery wall. It was all the tiny little ones, you know? And I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, I gotta wrap up each one of those. Like, let me do that one, you know. That's what makes
1: you feel like you're in go mode though. Yeah, no, but it I does know, make your house. But he doesn't it's want the first to thing you should like pack, it. it's the smartest thing to pack first, but then the problem yeah, always pack the art first. But then, like, yeah, it makes the house so sterile
0: and stuff. Cause like I need my like mixing bowls, I need my pots and pans. like that yeah, stuff's yeah, yeah. The no, stuff. Yeah, no, art I is need. the one thing you don't need that you can pack and you can take your time and well, luckily know. with me, I have many things that I do not need, like spark joy or whatever. So I've already packed, like, I've packed four boxes of placemats. Isn't are you cleaning? Old? Oh, I actually need placemats. Do you want to send some my way? You know what? I actually have a, a, actually, you know what? I have some that are darling and they're fours and I I'm can't in remember because they're so pretty, but like we're a family of five. So I don't know if I'm saving them till my son goes to college and we're back to being a family of four.
1: Oh, no. So maybe I, I, maybe I will,
0: maybe I will gift you with some placemats if they would spark joy for you. They would, if they're cute. Yeah, I would actually- They're really that. cute. Thank they're you. very, actually, Please. they're very you. Maybe I will. I'm, I'm having some placemat, uh,
1: yeah, crises right now. Okay. Oh, cool. well, I have two boxes. Um, but what was what the do you think is, the, okay, here's an etiquette since people like when we cover that, what do you think is the appropriate number of placemats to buy when you buy? Cause I'm, we buy four, but we're a family of four. But what happens is whenever I go to put them out for dinner, I always have to use like multiple different placemats that are mishmashed and don't match. Cause we only have, like, we have a bunch of four placemats.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting because we have a really big family, and um, yeah, so I need to buy like sixteen of everything, which gets insane. Um, so what I've decided is I'm going to buy things only if I love them, and I'm mm-hmm. buying very like versatile. Like I bought some gold chargers, right? That can go, they can look really fancy with fancy china, or it can look like they're plastic though, so it can still look kind of.
2: Um, yeah, I have all those. Mm-hmm. You know what I
0: mean? But it can still look kind of casual, and you could do it outside or whatever. So I'm trying to get things that are more versatile, and then just buy a dozen of them. Okay, but why are you using chargers? Like, what's I've never understood the benefit of the
1: charger because here's the thing: you still, if you're using a wooden table, have to put down a placemat. No, you don't. Well, you do I think because it what do you do? Serves as a placemat. With, uh-uh. Nope. 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 Because you can't put the water glass on it, and then right, you right. get the water rings on the table. You're right. Now that so, I think about that
0: and I don't know. Just to like have another thing to wash. So now you're
1: wasting money.
0: Yeah, another <laughs> thing to store, wash. Just because I'm I'm ai am a ridiculous human being. I don't know. They why. do look pretty, them. but then etiquette. just said, them, okay, so. I bought them for one specific dinner party because it was a really, really big deal, and I was like, you know what, this will be really fun to have. This. They are beautiful, and but they we, were like a dollar at Pier One. It was okay. Also no, like, I feel
1: better about that. You know, Pier yeah. One's closing fifty percent of their stores. No, yeah, they're they're okay, like but you know out. what?
0: Now that I say that, I'm I'm part of the problem, not the solution. It was cost plus. It wasn't Pier One. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, FYI though, etiquette, in case you don't know that, you
1: know that you can set the table with a charger, but then once you actually go to serve the main course that the charger has to be removed. I don't know if you knew that. It's, a, it's improper etiquette to leave the charger on the table.
0: If you come to my house and I make you dinner and I put out a charger and then I serve you food and you give me any crap about No, me, I would the never do the that. You know you I would go. You can go home. I just felt like sharing the right way just because I knew something.
1: I just like, no, that's why chargers, okay, so that's the perplexing part about chargers. Like how cool it was when we learned about what um, napkin rings were for. So I don't understand their value, right? Since we used a bad
0: word on this episode, can we just make this one explicit and say, I'm going to call that the asshole test if someone (laughs) brings up. <laughs> your charger is still on the table. They're an asshole. They
2: should be at your table. It's
1: not. Well, I think the way it used to be, in when they set a formal table in like Buckingham Palace, is the chargers are down, but the main—that's what you do—is the placeholder for the plate, and then they're plating food back in the kitchen, and then someone's bringing out the plate, and they're putting down your entree, but they're removing the charger. I think you can have your salad on a charger, but it has to go
0: away for the main course. My eyes are glossing over. I do not care.
1: I Some people like these pretty.
0: All right. Well <laughs> Okay. All right. So I loved this book. We'll get to the book because it really is a great book. Um can't say enough wonderful things about this book. I've read it like six times. I loved it. I thought it was so smart. Um all right, Graham. It was so nice to talk to you. You too. Back bon to be gosh. back in the podcasting saddle again. It is good to be back in the saddle. I feel great. <laughs> Okay. All right. Without further ado, as Graham always says, this is how, this is in case you haven't picked up. After three years of podcasting, I've now realized. And without further ado, that's how she introduces every every person. And then at the end, she goes. And on that note, <laughs> you are a creature of habit, Graham. Touche. <laughs> I love it. Never stop. Never stop saying it. I love it. Okay. Bye. On that note. Without <laughs> further ado. Ta-da. Okay, I am so excited to write. To, okay, we're gonna start. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to I, have actually, I am to write the best book. I actually, I am excited to write the best book of the year, but that is probably not. One.
2: <laughs>
0: there was a little Freudian slip in there. There you go. Okay, I am so excited to welcome the author of the best book I read all, all last year. I am so thrilled to have Mary Laura Philpot on Welcome Home. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are so excited to get to talk to you. Um, okay. So we've been chatting a little bit offline. You are talking to us from Nashville. Yes. So Graham has a little other I know. Around. I feel
1: like we're physically close. This is a kind of fun. I don't know. I feel like all I my our guests are on a coast.
2: Yeah. So you're nice. just three hours down the road from me. I could be there. Hold on. Let's just do this a different way. <laughs>
1: I'm cracking my
0: heart, Graham.
1: It is a little creepy every now and then when we have really cool guests on, like, because we have tech issues, I get to get their cell phones. So my, my Rolodex is kind of growing of like people, I've never actually used it, but there is a time when I wanted to like, be like, I just, you know, if I need to get, you
2: know, you're welcome to text me anytime.
1: Oh, don't
0: worry, I have boundaries. Kind of
2: <laughs> very, very loose ones.
0: Just the terrible boundaries. Okay, so this is a little bit crazy because I promise this is not a show about midlife c- for our listeners. This is not a show where all of a sudden Graham and I both turned forty this this year that it, we're going to all only talk about midlife crises because that was our <laughs> episode last time. But randomly, we have a little bit of like a midlife theme, I guess, this month of just sort of new oh gosh I mean I've been trying to explain your book in a nutshell and what what would you say like new redefining reevaluating
2: making changes reinvention, reinvention. That's the word. it took me a while to get there but once I landed on it, I was like, reinvention that's my, that's what this book is about and I when I was um, after I had written it but, but before it came out when we were in talks with um, the folks at Simon and Schuster about how they were going to market it and how they were going to describe it they kept saying midlife crisis and I actually said wait can you We need to not say midlife crisis not because there's anything wrong with the midlife crisis everybody seems to have one but i do think i think there are identity crises that happen starting much earlier Hmm. and recurring like i think starting as soon as you get out of college and about every five-ish years there comes this point where you're like whoa i was coasting on momentum there when i thought i knew what i was doing but i think i need to change direction How do I do that? So, I've leaned more on identity crisis than midlife crisis, but certainly for a lot of us, one of those identity crises does happen. You know, especially, I feel like there's something about the age 37. Like people get kind of through their mid 30s and almost to 40, and then they're like, whoa what am I doing? Well,
1: okay. So this is really creepy, but don't worry anyone who's listening cause you won't hack into anything. Cause I've changed all my passwords, but I was stuck at 27. And so all my really? passwords end in 27. <laughs> that's so funny.
2: Yeah. That's why that's all the age. your
1: passwords
0: are 27.
1: Yeah. Something. Yeah. Because my, in my brain, I got stuck. So you so you said 37. Well, I mean, but I really don't want anyone to try to hack me cause I've been having some problems. <laughs> lately. Also, um, is it immoral
0: <laughs> that you and I might or might not share multiple uh, premium television accounts? Yes. <laughs> I love knowing what Kirsten's watching
1: on Hulu. It's
2: I think really that's funny. just fine. And I think yeah. she thinks
1: I'm a little pathetic that I've watched 92 episodes of Golden Girls. Um, <laughs> but comforting. actually, Mary Laura, you might not know, you're speaking to someone pretty famous. Kirsten, actually, it was when she was working at CNN years ago. She's the one who term coined the term quarter life crisis. That is no way!
0: No, That is yeah. such fake news. Um, Nope, that is no not true. Fake news. You I came I up didn't, with it. No, no, I interviewed the woman who came up with it. Oh. In case you haven't noticed, my mo is not to do anything groundbreaking. It's to find people who do cool stuff and manage to get them to do interviews with me. That is my yeah. life
2: story. It's. I think you can break down the life crisis into any number of fractions: quarter life crisis, third life crisis, four fifths of the way crisis. Yeah. The the funny one of the funniest things that kept happening to me on book tour, um, and and still happens when I'm just out and about is inevitably in any crowd, there are one or two women there who are decades older than everyone else. They're somebody's grandmother or, or they're in a book club or whatever. And they'll come up to me at the end in the signing line and they'll lean in with this like conspiratorial grin on their face. like, this is so funny. And they'll go, guess what? It never ends. So as far as That's- I know, you can keep on breaking down these fractions for That's quite some time, <laughs> the
1: greatest gem I've ever learned. For those of you listening who are not familiar, obviously you need to go and get the book. I miss you when I blink, but it's a compilation of essays, and we don't have to always talk about crisis. I like what you're saying about reinvention, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more. However, I think the most important part is that, and I think kind of what Kirsten and I took away from it is that you don't have to blow up, you know, the ship. Um, And change her life that this is about. It's funny. So I mean, basically, you're going to read a book that's just going to make you laugh and smile. And you're going to say, Oh, Mary Laura, you're just my dear friend that I never knew. But most (laughs) importantly, you're going to realize all the fun, easy, happy ways to like modify your life with teensy, teensy, tiny turns of the screw.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can blow up your life. But but if That's you think about that idea, if, if you, you know, think I'm about sh- how often we need to change if you blew your life up every time, if every time you needed to change direction you ran away from home with a backpack and changed your name and hiked the globe, first of all you would run out of money and secondly that would just be a really exhausting and disruptive way to live. So maybe you know, save it for like one big blow up, but most of the time most of the time you can change your life by changing one or two things. You can change your job or you can change something about your household situation or things that we things that we assume we have to do just because they've always been done that way. Most of them you don't have to do that way.
1: Exactly. So I made a list of things through the book that kind of resonated with me that I thought, and I liked what you're talking about, just kind of the monotony sometimes. And I think it was mm-hmm. on page 122 you were talking about, um, you know, do you ever feel like you're continually in just that, cyclical pattern, the conversational rut, if you will, of talking about weather or traffic. Or lately, my friends and I were joking that we should just wear a sign when we go to Christmas parties that says, you know, Covered, you know, my child is still a believer. If you know what I'm talking, you know, my child <laughs> right. is still a believer. Yes, we're staying in town over the holidays. And <laughs> no, um, I'm not
2: done with my Christmas shopping yet. Right, exactly. <laughs> Wait and, a minute. This is hysterical because I actually had this exact same conversation with
0: a friend of mine who said, Remember in Legends of the Fall when the guy had the stroke and he would just wear a slate? Yes. He's like, I just want to wear a slate to a party with the answers to all these things. So we're having the exact same conversation on the other side of the country. There you go. A little Anthony. Okay, hop- but how do we?
1: get out of them? Do you have any answers, Mary Laura? How do you break through the junk? Well, no,
0: here's my question. You wrote beautifully about, and sadly, and drove me crazy about um, being at a party and being so excited to have a a ladies' night out, not talk about our kids, not talk about strollers, not talk about carpool or who's going to do, you know, which gymnastics class. And and then it all ended up being like a four-hour conversation about chicken salad. And mm-hmm. you had a, had, had a breakdown over that. So I want to know, like, cause I have literally, I, I read, I made my husband sit in the car in our garage while we were paying a sitter to finish that chapter on Audible. Aww. I loved it so much. And he's like, oh, this, he's like, yeah, I've had to sit there and listen to you do the same thing. So what happened after that? Did you ever, I mean, did you stay friends with everybody? Did you have heart to hearts with anyone afterwards? Like, I want to know the backstory after you had a horrible night. Of feeling mm-hmm. like you weren't connecting and you were just done with small talk. What happened?
2: I mean, it kind of it kind of unspooled over time. One of the things I I figured out around that time of life was that I don't have to go to everything I thought I had to go to. Like I used to go to every single school related parent function because I thought you you have to you have to go to the second grade moms night out and you have to go to the back to school night. Parents, social, and you have to go to the auction, and you have to go to this, and I would go to every single one. And like you're saying, when they start to feel repetitive, like you could just have a slate in your hand, that's when you can say to yourself, "Guess what? I don't have to go to that. I can do something I want to do instead." Um, yeah, but what if husband, they take you off the guest list? Then oh. you're free. No. <laughs> you're free. My husband and I the other night were were um, debating going to a parent party for. Uh, my daughter's school. And if anyone who is listening, who, whose kids go know. To with my daughter, just, I love you and you're wonderful, but she is uh, in the last year at the school. So all the other parents are younger. She's my youngest child. So I I actually don't know any of the parents of the younger children because I don't, I just don't know these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the two people who we normally would talk to at these parties, were going to be out of town. And he and I were like, oh, we just don't feel like it's going to make sense for us to go, but we don't just want to stay home. And I was like, well, we would just go out just the two of us <laughs> like we can go out without going to that thing. So you're both parents of, at the school. You can be social together, right? Exactly. It's our own parents' night. Um, so part of, part of the, what happened after that sort of chicken salad phase of my life was, was letting myself off the hook for things I didn't have to do that. I was sort of making myself feel like I had to do, but then part of it also was um trying to choose a little more carefully where and when and with whom I did do things and you know if if you've got to get a sitter or you've got to rearrange your work schedule or whatever to go out one night a week make it with people you actually care about and and make it you know a setting where you can actually have a conversation
1: Okay, I'm not calling you out because I love you, um and yeah. I love your book, but here's my question for you because I think yeah. you're a journalist and we Kirsten and I both studied journalism. Here's where I think I get in trouble is mm-hmm. I feel like I was always taught everybody has a story. Everybody's interesting. So I spend all my time like i I think I have trouble pulling away from things because I keep thinking to myself, okay, well, if I just change the angle a little bit this way and I kind of ask you better questions, you'll become fun. Like <laughs> right, right. maybe you'll be cool. If I can just like crack the nut on this, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. which I think we're trained to do because we're always like, well, let me just ask you the question that gets you to open up that then I can see the authentic you and then I'll start having fun.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's why like going out to dinner with one friend at a time or, you know, just like four friends going to do something or coming over. Like maybe that's why it, like, to me, that feels like a more effective way to socialize because yeah, conversations awesome. have time and space to get beyond the surface. If you're at a party with 60 people, mm-hmm. no one's going to be interesting because you can't get past the first five lines of conversation with anybody. Cause everybody's moving around and getting a drink and looking over your shoulder to see if someone more important has come in the room. So the older I get, the more I find I really prefer one on one or small group socializing. I love my favorite thing in the world is to go away for a weekend with like two or three really good girlfriends and just blah, 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 the whole week. The whole weekend. Hey,
1: we're free. It's, it's a three
0: day weekend right
1: now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
2: It'd be awesome. Well, the best time ever.
0: <laughs> okay, it's time to take a quick little break to tell you about a sponsor we have.
1: Yes. Today we're sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard us talk about BetterHelp before. We think this is a great concept, especially for anyone who possibly doesn't have the time to drive to a therapist or a counselor. This um, BetterHelp basically offers online counseling for you. You can connect to professional counselors. It's safe. It's private. It's online. They are fully licensed. Um, If you're struggling with anything like depression, stress, anxiety, really anything, everything you share is completely confidential. They have over 3,000 licensed therapist in every single state. So if you want to find someone who kind of is close to home or knows what you're thinking about or, or, you know, is even locationally specific, you can do it. It's completely affordable. And the neatest thing is, is you can schedule it on your time. You can do a video or a phone session Um, really whatever you want. And these experts have a very, very, very wide expertise. Um, you know, in, let's say you're struggling with something that maybe your locality doesn't have kind of an, a great expert in, you can find experts who have an
0: expertise. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You seem to be very focused on where they're located, which is sort of the exact opposite of BetterHelp's purpose. Right. Exactly. Well, but
1: I do no, no, but coming from a smaller state, I do think that's really interesting. Right? No, like actually that's you a good point. Maybe, that's a good point. Like, like if you're someone right? without a lot of options, if you have a specific need or trauma, you can find someone who might not be available to you in your locality. So that's cool. Um, we like how I found a best friend slash.
0: Oh, sorry. I got you off. Who's. Who's I, th- I found a best what? friend who's who's geographically undesirable, but like we can connect
1: just like you can connect you to know, your therapist. That's been super helpful for our friendship though, because it really does additionally open up like a safe space for secrets between you and me. You're like my better help <laughs> therapist because you, you know, because I can tell you stuff and you're like, I don't know. I don't know that person, I'm never going to meet them. Not that I do that. But anyway, betterhelp.com slash welcome home. Again, it's BetterHelp help.com slash welcome home. And if you put in the discount code, welcome home, you'll get 10% off your first month. Therapy is cool. It's fun. Oh, Try I love it.
0: therapy. All right. It's thank better you, help. BetterHelp. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. You talk a lot, this, as we said, it's sort of a, it's sort of a memoir in essays mm-hmm. and you start with your sort of beginning of your childhood and you go all the way through. And one of the things that Graham was kind of stuck on and we talk a lot about is this idea of like the trope of blaming your parents for your flaws. Yes. And and like okay, so let's talk about that because that is I think that's very easy to get caught up in, but it's not it's, helpful.
2: Yeah, it's easy to do. And when I was when I was writing this book, I remember thinking I don't want to include too many essays about childhood because who cares about like me when I was 7? But I did feel like there's a lot of the adulthood stuff will have a kind of question mark looming over it if I don't at least briefly ask the question, are there patterns that began as a child that might have foreshadowed some of this stuff? So I did in the beginning, there are a few, a few little childhood essays. And one of them is, okay, let me test this theory out. Well, let me see if I can do what everybody does in every interview and every memoir ever, which is go, well, you see, it was my mother. And so I tried it and I said, okay, if if, if a big part of my adulthood problems stems from being a perfectionist and feeling that my identity is very wrapped up in success and that I have to sort of earn the air I breathe in order to deserve to be here and deserve to be loved. Did that start when I was little? The answer is yes. Did it start because of something my parents did? And I think you can, almost anybody can find a way to make the answer to that question, yes, mm. if you kind of tilt your past a certain way, but I don't think it's fair to do, and the way I, the essay that you're talking about is called Wonder Woman, and I, I wrote it two ways, so it, it goes start to finish, and then it starts over and finishes again, and the first way I tell the story about this thing that happened, the spelling bee that I was in in first grade, I say, and you know, and in the end, it was my mother's fault. She she's the one who made me compulsive because of the way this went down and then I tell it again and I say you know what maybe maybe my mother is my biggest cheerleader maybe all my successes in life are due to my mom pushing me harder but in the end really it's not I can't blame her for everything I can't give her credit for everything nobody can do that and now that I've been a parent now that I am a parent I understand how just impossible it is to do parenting perfectly and I have to cut my parents a ton of slack and say you know if they were doing the best they could they did a pretty pretty damn good job
1: right and I like the idea too that they're they're still growing up that we don't give them enough credit I think you yeah. said that is that you know even like we don't we don't realize because our kids think of us as so old but I mean you know I'm still growing up obviously oh I'm doing gosh, podcasts yes. on why I can't you know have my <laughs> why I can't understand what I'm supposed to do with my life right so how
2: how can anyone blame me as a right. parent right and I look back at like I I can look back at you know my children are teenagers now although in the book they're mostly little because this is about things that that happened in the past. Um but I can look back at myself as a young parent when my children were babies and I oh I just have so much sympathy and <laughs> and pity <laughs> on my on my young parent self because I was trying so hard but you don't know when you're in When you're in it and you're in the moment and you're in those years, you don't have the perspective yet to know what's important and what's not, or at least I didn't. And so I felt like everything was so important and I really stressed about every little choice.
0: Totally. Well, that kind of brings back to the perfection, which was another thing that just resonated with me. And, you know, from a lot of our listeners, when you're listening to it, well, this, okay, this podcast started off as like actually helpful and full of great tips on homemaking. And then, then we realized it was much more fun just to find interesting people and chat with them. Um, but, you know, people who maybe are with us from the early days probably have a little bit of perfectionism. They wanted to host parties. They wanted to have efficient systems. I mean, mm-hmm. being a perfectionist, that's probably, would you say that was your sort of prevailing trait
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like if you broke my personality down into a recipe, it would be like add four cups of perfectionism and a dash of everything else.
0: (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about this because here's the problem. I'm a recovering perfectionist as well. Mm -hmm. It's hard for perfectionists to um, even admit they're perfectionists because if I were a better perfectionist, I would be much more organized. Like it is hard like even being a pro- oh gosh, it's just the worst. Never mind. I don't even want to talk, but I'm tired.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it is it is hard and it's hard when you um when you really kind of live off of the the hit and the thrill. It's almost drug like of quantifiable success. Yes. That is something that is so easy to do as a Child, because you get a report card every few months. Okay, like, I was just about to say that. You know, could we
0: start a business where we could go in and observe people and give them report cards? Adult
2: report cards. Adult oh report cards.
0: Think how many perfectionists would sign up for this this service?
2: I and would like sign maybe up in a ha- It would full feed- suggestions with links, <laughs> and like we could get like an affiliate fee. It'd be great. It would feed all my worst impulses, though, because that's 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 where I run. Like that, that's why I run myself down into just taste because I'm constantly measuring what I, what I'm doing. And if, if I I think you're still a perfectionist, Mary Laura. Oh, Oh, no.
0: Graham's listening to this. Like ladies, like just get it done. It's good enough. It's better than most people move on. Graham Graham cannot relate to this, but yeah. I love
2: my, I love my good enough friend, my friends who, who are like into the good enough philosophy. I I, I watch (laughs) them. I'm like, try to model myself after them. I'm like, look at that.
1: No, no, no. But my downfall oh. is like, I'm a whirling dervish. Like I'll do, uh, but here's the thing. I, I, I will admit this. I could do a hundred things more than the common man. They're mm-hmm. just done at a B plus level, Which, but like, you know I
2: will do more. 99% of the time is fine. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I like, I could probably sleep a lot better if I would quit right. when I get to the B plus level and not be like, Oh, I gotta, you know, <laughs> yeah.
0: get this a little more perfect. Yeah, because the reality is it doesn't work anyway. Okay, well, team up because Kirsten
1: fixes, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna go edit this for the next 17 hours. Okay, I want to talk about my one of my favorite chapters in this book because this is, I think, sums up why I love this book so much. Was we don't usually use bad words on like
2: podcasts. Oh, okay. Do it. Ungrateful
0: (laughs) bitch. Oh, oh my gosh, did I love this chapter.
2: We're okay. allowed to use that word because otherwise we wouldn't be able to talk about this chapter at all.
0: Oh my gosh. And can I, I don't want to like give away too much of the book because you all need to read it. It will change your life. It is so good, especially if you're a perfectionist, especially if you're someone who just sometimes wonders if you're doing it right. Oh, it's so good. But um Ungrateful Bitch, you basically say in it, you know, change your name to Ungrateful Bitch and make your Starbucks name Ungrateful Bitch. I love this mm-hmm. idea. And here's the problem. And I think you, you read this book and you realize like you have gotten to live as you, you're, you're very, you do a great job in this book of, you know, you've, you've had a great life. You've had lots of blessings, lots of wonderful things mm-hmm. and how, you know, constantly saying to yourself, well, I don't have the right to complain because so and people have it so much worse than me. Yeah. And walking that line of like, we, don't, I don't want to be a victim. Nobody wants to be a victim. Victims who walk around and say, woe is me, are just unattractive and it's not a trait that humans are drawn to. That's not anything anyone's inspired by. Right. You know, so how you walk this line of saying, I have so much, I'm so blessed, I'm so fortunate, but I still want some more.
2: Yeah. And- well, and it would be it would be utterly goofy not to acknowledge my privilege in yes. in every everything that I write about in this book is from a privileged perspective. You know, th- I'm not writing about I'm sad about this thing that happened at work because all my coworkers were shot. And I'm not writing about, I'm sad about this thing that's happening in my family because my child is dying. Like the base level of privilege in my life is, is there, but I do think everyone has a a deep inner need to find mental and emotional peace. And if that's the thing you want more of, if you're like, I, I'm, I want mental and emotional peace. I think that's a fine thing to want more of. That's different from saying, you know, I have, I have a blue Corvette, but I wish I had the red Maserati, you know, that's a different kind of, that's a different kind of wishing for more. Um, But I did feel like I needed to address it and address the fact, not only like, why am I writing this book if everything is mostly fine in my life on the, in the grand scheme of things, but also just as I was going through a lot of what I write about in this book, this this desire to reinvent my life and not knowing how to do it and feeling trapped, I felt like I couldn't talk about it out loud because people would go, you ungrateful bitch. Mm -hmm. And so the essay, as you, as you hinted, the essay is kind of me going, okay, so maybe I am an ungrateful bitch. Let me get used to that term. I'm just going to repeat it until it is meaningless. Um, But it's a, Goofy exercise, but it's a helpful exercise, too, because that, that never goes away. I just, um, this past fall, I, I published an essay in the New York Times called, uh, what was it called? The Great Fortune of Ordinary Sadness, and it was mm-hmm. about something um, sad, like truly sad that happened in my family, but which is not that sad in the grand scheme of all the sadnesses in the world, and how I felt like I, I couldn't talk about it out loud. And so I was walking around carrying this little sadness and trying not, not to let it out and to make sure I was, I was outwardly, you know, acknowledging much bigger, more important things. Um, but that's a reality of life. There, There's no, it's not realistic to go, well, now that I see how bad things really are for the polar bears, I am not going to be upset about the fact <laughs> that my career went off the rails. It, big sad, little sad, it all exists. It's all real. Mm.
0: So, what kind of self talk do you do to to get past that?
2: Um, self talk. You know what has been helping me a lot with self talk lately is, I downloaded the Calm app, and I paid the money to do the, like the paid subscription where you have access to all the different guided meditations. And in the morning, most mornings, if I if I can logistically manage it, I listen to about a ten or twelve minute guided meditation and they have, there's like a huge menu of things you can choose from, but they have the ones that are just like, be still and breathe and feel your skin in the world and have love and kindness. But then they also have some that kind of have like a little lesson or a lecture in them. Um, and I've been listening to one to ones about anxiety, because I'm a very anxious person that is never going to go away. But even the ones that are, you know, ostensibly about anxiety or confidence or stress, always have something baked in there about self-talk and starting your day with telling yourself good things instead of starting your day going, you are so ungrateful, you are so behind, you are so whatever, which is my natural tendency. Um, I'm a a huge fan of, of guided meditation now. That you know, now that I've been doing it for like a few months, I'm a I'm a big fan.
0: Well, I've downloaded that app too, but it sounds like you might actually be doing it differently than me. I just get the push notifications and then I press ignore,
2: ignore, and I yeah.
0: So okay, so this is interesting. You're doing it a little bit differently.
2: Yes, they will serve you up a little like one meditation a day. That's like the meditation of the day, but you never know what it's going to be, and it might be something that kind of applies to you, and it might be more general. I seek out the ones that are like seven days of managing anxiety. And I start with day one and I go all the way through day seven. And then on day eight, I start over on day one. (laughs) But
0: just pushing ignore, you're telling me is not going to get the job done. That may, that may not do quite as much. Interesting. I'll take, I'll make a note of that. Okay. Um, Talk
1: about a little bit about the portion you talk about in the book with your husband um, and how, you know, he's just sounds like an absolutely lovely, wonderful man. Um, But when he he sounds like a saint, yeah, but you know,
2: Awesome.
1: He's all, you Um, you know, sometimes that's all you have to let your feelings out on. I'm so sorry. My cat is in here and I don't know how that happened. Is that what you hear? (laughs) Do you hear? I don't hear a cat, but I'm I'm happy
2: that a cat is here. My cat's Um, trying to find his little position, you know, and sit down and you're just watching
1: him kind of turn around
2: 500 times. (laughs) You got to do all that. Um, I mean, that's always the case that the people closest to us are the ones who get the brunt of of everything awful. And I think that's true in, in any relationship. It's true in marriage. It's true in dating relationships. It's really true in parenting. When I think back to being, I have teenagers now, when I think back to being a teenager and the fact that like, God, with the stuff my mom put up with, what a jackass I was because coming home at the end of the day, that's where you can be a jackass because you've held it together in public all day long. And I see my kids doing that now, you know, like they hold it together all day and then they get home and they're just like, blah, and they melt down. And that's, that's what you do at home. So whoever is, you know, whoever is closest to you often gets the worst, the worst of it.
0: Um, and don't you love it then when your friends say, oh, they were just such a delight to have. They were so polite. <laughs> <laughs> people the best manners ever.
2: People say that about my dog that listeners don't know this, but before we started recording, my dog was howling and I had to move to a different room in my house so that we could actually hear each other talk. I have this little beagle named Eleanor Roosevelt who is beautiful and the cutest thing you've ever seen and so snuggly and wonderful and when people come over she just sits and wags her tail and makes little cutie eyes and they're like she is just the best little puppy puppy and then people leave and she starts like digging holes in all the furniture and eating the doorknobs and you know we're we are our worst selves for our own our, own Our beloved, way. yeah. But
0: I think with the spouses, there's even another level, because you talked in there something that I thought was so profound, which was blaming your spouse for things. Oh, yeah. And you knew in the back of your mind, like, it's totally not his fault. But it's like, you were there. You were another adult when I was making all these life decisions that now I'm unsatisfied with. Like, mm-hmm. you must be partially, deblo- like, you're an accomplice, you know? Yeah. And that is so fast. And that's very insightful, too, that really it was you. You were, you were mad at you, but it's like, right, innocent bystander who let you do all those Things, right but you know? your
2: brain your brain wants you to be able to blame anybody else especially your brain you, like who could I blame who can, yeah you. you
0: met your husband in college right right so Graham did as well and I met mine in high school so like they have been around oh, wow. forever like yeah. watching me make these decisions that, that that then I wasn't happy with and you want to blame them and I right so I am just wondering
2: anything bad we've done it's probably their fault
0: it's probably their <laughs> fault subconsciously he implanted that idea in my head yeah um okay so but how uh how then when you, when you did say, I want to make some changes and I want to do some reinvention, you know, it seems like he had an overwhelming amount of patience and, um, he's a
2: very patient supportiveness person,
0: supportiveness over this, especially when you even mentioned the idea of like, maybe we just like, don't get divorced,
2: but like live in separate houses. Like mm-hmm. that would freak me out if my husband said that. Isn't it amazing though, that more people don't do that, that, that more people don't just live next door to each other. As married people, like that, it's amazing to me that that hasn't caught on. That we don't all live in little duplexes with each our own space and then a shared space.
0: Okay, I don't agree with you on that. No, here, no. But I will tell you, (laughs) this is this might be like too much information. But like, why we sleep in the same bed? Why can't we be like 1950s couples and like actually be like, I got all the covers I went to bed with. No one whacked me (laughs) in the face when I was asleep. Like. You didn't forget to silence your phone and get 1,700 texts oh. from a different time zone.
2: Like, like on I Love Lucy where they have the cute little twin beds and the little table in the middle. it
0: yeah, makes sense.
1: Or no, no, no. Like when you go to a big palace and you're touring and you oh, see yeah. that the king slept one place and the queen
2: was like down oh, the hall. Yeah. And like on did. the crown. On the it can crown. You like yes. beautiful bedrooms and then they have that like parlor in the middle.
1: Right. right, Exactly. Like the crown. I was just thinking that. They can meet up when they want to. Totally. But it doesn't make sense when you're 23. You're like, that's just crazy. Right. people are clearly just delusional.
2: When you you look at houses that are being built now, which we're doing a lot. We live in a part of Nashville where um, there's a lot of construction going on. People, lots of like little bitty old houses in the woods and then the original owners die and a developer buys it and like puts up this huge house. That's happening all around us. And so we... We go tour the homes because we want to see what they look like. Because you're a looky-loo. Yeah, me I'm too. Totally. I'm like, what do fancy houses look like? Very <laughs> often, the master bedroom has two bathrooms. It has his and okay. hers.
1: I was just talking about a friend with this for a friend the other day. Mm-hmm. Keep going.
2: Yeah. Anyway, it's cool. <laughs> like, no wow. no no but here's the thing That's so I, 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 out. I
1: unpacked this a little bit the other day because I remember you know I've been with my husband for so long like we didn't have we lived in some teensy tiny apartments you know mm-hmm. and I'm just this is probably more information than anyone wants but I like the idea of seeing a, a spouse on a toilet right now is about mm-hmm. one of the more horrible things I could think of but maybe 20 years ago That wasn't, I didn't, I didn't kind of think twice about it or didn't Uh resonate with me that that was like not something that I would be completely not okay with. And I'm, (laughs) but I was wondering how, like I went for, like it was it was an incremental change. And then I realized we finally moved into a place where like the toilet had a door. Yeah, you know that's a <laughs> that's really a nice like thing. moving on up to the east, <laughs> to a deluxe, <laughs> you know? the deluxe apartment with a toilet with a door. <laughs> yeah, like I never knew that. But once it ha- once that door closes, Mary and Laura, it should mm. never open again. <laughs> that's
2: a good point. <laughs> and,
1: and you don't realize like what you've been doing all that time. But it was just normal for you. I mean, when we grew up, my entire family like four of us shared one bathroom, and like that was yeah. I mean fine. I mean, my parents weren't in there, or like when I was in there. But we, you know, we just respected everyone's space. Yeah and it was fine. And-
2: there are definitely more bathrooms in houses now. Every every, every bedroom has its own bathroom. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. That's I how remember
1: being told by our real estate agent here, and they, she was like, well, I don't know about this house. The children each don't have their own bathroom. And I said, well, I know. Children we don't have- each
2: need their own bathroom. I know, I know. And
1: she said, and I was like, we'll take it. But I'd <laughs> like them to take $10,000 off because of this bathroom <laughs> because situation. Because of this terrible flaw. <laughs> this disgusting mockery of a home. <laughs>
0: Oh, Graham. Oh, Graham. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit more. Wait, wait. Actually, no. You have to know. So we've been talking about how you and I are so like Mary Laura, with this perfectionism stuff, Mm -hmm. but what Graham, where I feel like Graham really would resonate with this book so much, and she liked this chapter as well, was the Ruby Committee. Um, Oh, my gosh. Okay, so Graham is our resident expert volunteer and when you were describing the the volunteer job that was so extensive you needed a year of apprentice apprenticeship beforehand. Yeah, Graham. Graham is currently in her apprentice year <gasps> to be the PTA president. I mean oh, we are Graham.
1: Yeah, oh, I Graham. I know,
0: I know. So
1: this might be my last podcast episode. <laughs> I'll miss you when I blink, Mary Laura. I'll see you on
2: the other side. <laughs> Call me when you get done with that PTA situation. <laughs> well,
1: if I if
2: I run off internet to Nashville, <laughs> cute. you'll oh, know why.
1: You I think it's moving. so
2: common, especially for anyone who is a stay at home parent, whether you're a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad, or you're a, a flexible work situation parent, like a, a freelancer, as I was when my kids were little. Um, if you used to be in a high like fast-paced office environment and now you are not and you have not been for a while
0: yeah graham run a u.s senator's office so she was like right
2: there yeah there's a (laughs) part of you that still kind of misses that like being around people i've got a bunch of deadlines we're going to get this done and there's a there's a do this do that you'll be indicted if you don't answer by noon (laughs) exactly (laughs) you get it you get a hit of satisfaction off getting those things done and i think Uh that's part of what draws parents to yeah. some of these uh, volunteer leadership school things because it it's like, oh, you get to kind of flex that muscle you haven't used in a while.
1: Yeah, it's so whack. I've already figured it out, though. I know the answer to this. Oh, of good. Why we do it. Why people like us do that. And it's okay. for all those reasons. It's just, well, and also it's because, like, I'm educated. I have the time. I feel like, well, okay, well, if this is my job to be home with the kids, mm-hmm. then I might as well be, like, doing it to the extent of the way that I would put in my effort to a full-time job,
2: you know what right. I mean? So right.
1: And, you know, and then you get to the other thing. There was an interesting article in the New York Times a couple of days ago. Kirsten, we didn't even talk about this, about how um, the, actually it was written by the editorial board, which I have to say, they're oh. getting a little whack with their editorials. But it was talking about, um, you know, the disparity in the New York City school system. Mm-hmm. And what they were speaking to was the fact that I think there's one PTA, you know, P, PTA, PTO, whatever you call it, that had raised, I think, $1.7 million for their annual you know, wow. donations, but that the majority of schools, I think we're raising, you know, a pittance of that, you know, many right. of the poor schools that are still in New York City. They were arguing that basically, like, the school with the 1.7 redistribute some of their wealth, some of their mm-hmm. funds raised, and um, give it to these other schools. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm not taking a position on that, because I don't think that that's necessary for our sweet little show that we do. Um, <laughs> but at the same point in time, I had a parent here that made a point that basically, because we have a school that's well-funded and has mm-hmm. tons of parent volunteer hours, and she made a really interesting point. She said, you know, a lot of these other schools city schools in Birmingham that are not succeeding the parents um there's no parent volunteerism because you know you have dual work there's no there's no time for it you know right right and that wouldn't it be great if we could put together a committee of parents you know all these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of man hours and go move it over to the school the another school
2: yeah you know yeah. they
1: can't even put on you know uh, whatever it is a back to school night because the parents yeah. just don't have the time to do
2: it right right yeah it's a thought Sounds Um, like a
0: project for you, Graham.
2: (laughs) Solve it. You can solve it. On it.
0: Check. Okay, great. Okay, so let's get back to the theme on change, because this is big, and you talk about change being in all different ways, but one of the themes that kind of came up was these geographical changes, Mm -hmm. because you did, you picked up and moved from Atlanta to Nashville. Yes. Okay, really practical question here. How how old were your children? I'm not going to ask how old you were, but I think like, it's very easy to move when you have toddlers, because you. I was thirty-nine.
2: Over. I'll tell You're you, 39. I was thirty-nine. My How old children, were your kids, were um, so miraculously, this move worked out such that we could move during the summer between school years,
0: okay. which is
2: a handy thing if you can make it happen. However, I remember when I was stressing out about, um, we had decided to move, but we hadn't yet found a house, and we hadn't yet figured out what part of the city to live in. Therefore, we didn't know where the children would go to school and all this stuff. I remember telling my therapist like, oh, God, I've just got to get it all figured out before, before, you know, March so that we can get it planned and then we can move in the summer. And she was like, why? What do you have to move in the summer? People can move all people move all the time. You can move in the middle of the school year. It's fine. I was like, oh, I guess it is. But in my, in my mind, I wanted to do it in between. So they were little, but not tiny little Um, My daughter started third grade when we got here, and my son started sixth grade. So he was starting middle school, and she was right in the middle of elementary school. Um, And I did have worries about, you know, disrupting their lives. I grew up moving every couple of years or every few years because of um, my dad's work. And I was somebody who experienced maybe a few too many moves. Um, I remember, like, wanting to get somewhere and just stay. But my children, um, you know, they were born in Atlanta. They had lived their whole childhoods up to that point in Atlanta. And I was actually kind of excited about giving them a chance for a reinvention and a fresh start. And it, you know, they they do go to a really sweet school that's very nurturing and, and very character driven. They talk all the time about being welcoming and don't let anybody sit alone. So they had a wonderful experience starting over here. Um, but I did worry about it, of course. One of my best friends from high school are really probably the only person I keep up with from high school lives here. Um, and I had stayed in touch. I've always stayed in touch with her and she had this great book club and all these hilarious friends who I had met like, even before there was Facebook and, and people would like know friends of friends on Facebook. I knew them from email. We would have these email threads going around where they would share like funny jokes or books they had read. So I sort of had these pen pals here before I ever lived here. So I had a built in social network already here. I yeah, And I'm I'm only, I guess,
0: asking these questions because, you know, there are these ideas of big changes that seem so daunting, but like Mm -hmm. really it comes down to these little things like you're talking about, like, oh, I joined a book club. I had a friend from high school. My
2: kids went to a
0: school that really stressed, you know, and these changes that seem so huge in your mind.
2: Everything breaks down into small pieces. I mean, just the thought of like, I remember being like, ah, moving, how do you even move? And then I would laugh at myself and be like, you hire a truck. You put your dishes in a box and you drive across straight lines, state lines. Like it's not actually that hard. It's all small tasks. It's most things that seem big and impossible when you break them down are small and very possible.
0: But you talk about a couple different moves in this book and one of them Mm -hmm. wasn't as like you talked about studying abroad in college and how that was a total perspective shift. And I love that story. It's it's a hilarious story. We don't need to get into it, but y'all just have to read the book. So it's very funny. Um, but then you also talked about kind of doing this uh, almost like study abroad as a grown-up when your husband got a, tr- a temporary job transfer mm-hmm. to Europe and, um, and that it wasn't maybe as profound as you thought it would be.
2: Yeah. I had and- learned as a young person that when you change your scenery, you can get this whole new perspective and that that can be really eye-opening and amazing and it can change your life. And I think I put a little too much expectation on that move to Ireland. Um, thinking it would give me that new perspective and like change my life entirely when in reality I was in a phase of life that is that was very tied to daily responsibilities I had two teeny little children and so it kind of didn't matter where we went on the globe I was still going to be changing diapers and making dinner and doing nap time and all that sort of stuff so it was it was not quite the like total fresh start that I sort of pretended it could be
0: yeah and i love
1: that because like weaving it, your own wool and
2: yeah, <laughs> exactly and, you know, raising my sheep
1: right which we always think we will be i really do feel like because I, I love to travel too i always think somehow if i just pick up and go you know i'll become mm-hmm. a different person but i've never right. really found that to be the case well grandma, no. i know
0: i think it's totally your experience as well though sometimes you'll come because grandma is like the crazy traveler she's always on the mm-hmm. road but sometimes you come back and you're like life-changing perspective shifting other times you're like it was fun. It was nice. It was, it was yeah. okay. There, we yeah. missed some planes. We got some things.
2: Right. Both, thing, both things are true. It is eye-opening to go to a different place. You can reinvent yourself sometimes more easily by removing yourself from your scenery and your props, but you are also still yourself wherever you go.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think just I think we probably have to wrap it up and be respectful of your time, but just one last question before we yeah. let you go, which is um, just so much of this book, it's a really hopeful book. It's a really like you know what just take a look and if something doesn't fit change it and I love that message of just it's never too late um, there's never a defining thing that can't be rewritten a new story I, I just a fresh start I love how optimistic and encouraging is in that front um, but what about our listeners what advice would you give to our listeners who just feel like yeah well she did it but I can't or maybe that worked for her but for me I've got all uh-huh. these Stumbling blocks that are that that'll prevent this. What advice do you give people who just don't think that 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 could be their story?
2: The best advice I can give, the advice I give most often to people at, at any phase, and I'm not like an advice, you know, I'm not an advice columnist, but I feel like the past year being on book tour, people are always like, "What's your advice?" And the thing I say more more often than anything is, pick, do the math on how you spend your time, and add up the minutes and hours you spend every day or every week or whatever increment makes sense add up the time you spend on things you love doing and things you have to do like you actually do have to do okay you have to eat um empty the dishwasher then, or do the, like, right like, yeah like you have to do that um and then add up the time you spend on things you don't like or you absolutely hate or that are draining the life force out of you and do that math and if you've got way higher number on things that you don't like or that are draining the life force out of you, pick, start by picking one of them and quit it. And I mean, I remember thinking, oh God, I'm so tired and I'm so, I just, I feel like I'm a hamster on a wheel and I do all these things that I I was spending time with people I didn't even care about doing things I didn't even care about and going, but I just have to, this is what I have to do. And somewhere in there, there's one thing you can change you can i mean you can go to a different go to a grocery store closer to your house and spend less time in your car if you spend too much time you know in traffic like somewhere in there is one thing you can quit or change
0: i like that I like that's that. my it's advice very manageable and yeah. by the way that little ding that went off when you were talking was yeah. the um alert on my apple watch telling me Take a moment to breathe calm.
2: <laughs> did you tap ignore? I
1: did. I totally Absolutely. Of course, she did.
2: <laughs> that was oh. great timing, though. Magical. That was oh. awesome.
0: Thank you so much for being here and talking to our listeners. And again, this book was just so well written and so thoughtful. Oh, and I just gleaned so much information from it and um, such a really encouraging perspective. So I would encourage all of our listeners to pick it up. You will really enjoy Mary Laura's writing. It's funny. It's smart. It's so relatable. It's a memoir that is like, oh, that could have been my life. It's just a really um, fun, thoughtful read. So thank you so much for sharing some time with us and with our
2: listeners. Thank you for for this fun conversation and for reading (laughs) for all of it.
1: Thanks, Mary Laura.
2: Thanks for listening to this week's
1: episode of Welcome Home. We think you guys are the best. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic or any of the sponsor deals we mentioned, visit our website at thewelcomehomepodcast.com.
0: Our sweet listeners tell us all the time that it feels like we're real life friends and not to be too mushy, but we feel the same about you. So why not go ahead and connect with us on Instagram? We're at the Welcome Home
1: Podcast. Or if it's something super secret, feel free to send us an email at hello at the com. especially if it's a secret about Kirsten. I'm the one who checks the email. It will stay between us.
0: And as always, if you would enjoyed today's episode of Welcome Home, please make sure you're subscribed. And also, if you have a few minutes, we'd just love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share the show with your friends. Tell your friends. That's the hospitable thing to do. Thanks for listening to Welcome Home.